Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. We have so many questions. <laughs> I, 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 we, we have, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Oh, we have 11 questions uh, that were recorded that have uh, that, that just until the 31st of last year. So, so many questions, uh, which is why we've done two shows in a row with questions. And we're going to probably end up taking more of these questions and other questions, the ones typed in on our Saturday show, which airs on Como Radio in Seattle. And uh, you can call us during that show at 855-935-TALK because it airs from 3 till 5 p.m. Eastern time, noon to 2 Pacific. So without further ado, let's get to a question that was recorded by going to TalkingRealMoney.com on the contact form. You can actually record your questions right there just like this. Hi, Tom and Don. This is Maz. Thank you very much for your podcast. Uh, I have been listening to it for past few months. Um, I've learned many things about investment, investments, should I say. Um, I have a question about lump sum investment versus dollar cost averaging. I know that you guys are proponent of lump sum investments, and I understand that, that the time in the market is pro- more important than the timing of the market or periodic investment in the market if you have money set aside. I would appreciate if you can give me some examples of how does that work. Say I buy a fund at its peak price and market fluctuates as opposed to I keep buying it over a period of time. I know that people talk about different graphs and numbers and um, I I have a general idea that in general, the lump sum investment is better than uh, putting the money or dollar cost averaging for that matter. So I will appreciate if you can explain it with a few examples uh, and then uh, it will help me understand this a little better. Thank you very much. Well, Maz, we've said this over and over again, um, but if I understand you're wanting more proof because it's it's seemingly more comfortable to dollar cost average because we feel like we're uh, we're buying we're, we're saving some of our powder for when the market goes down. But the reality is, and we've said this a lot, that out of every four average years three of those will experience rising stock prices and there's a ton of research out there to support that i just i mean just i found an article from this year uh from cnbc that's entitled here's why lump sum investing is a better option than dollar cost averaging and a a 10-year rolling return study going back to 1950 found that in a 100% stock portfolio, lump sum investing beat dollar cost averaging 75% of the time. So are there instances when dollar cost averaging won? Yes. 
that's one of the problems with data. It can be used either way. You could say, well, yeah, but over this period, it you would have done better dollar cost averaging. What we're doing is we're, we're playing the better odds. And here's what's interesting. Even in a bond portfolio, they outperformed, and they outperformed uh, at a rate of about 90%. So having cash sitting around is only something that market timers do or wannabe market timers. This is why we say it is so important to build the proper portfolio. It's not about the right time. It's about the right portfolio for you. If you build the right portfolio and you're very, very thoughtful about it, you have determined how much risk you can take, how big a loss you can stand. If you've done that in advance, then being fully invested should never be painful for you because you know what your pain threshold is that's why that's so critical you can't know the right time to be in or out and that's what basically dollar cost averaging a lump sum that you already own is doing you're saying well i expect the future to be worse than the past so i'm just gonna wait that's timing now where dollar cost averaging does work is enforcing you to make regular contributions from your dollar cost earned earnings. You earn on periodic on a period most people earn on a periodic basis and so you need to force yourself to whenever you earn the money, you invest the money at that time. That's true dollar cost averaging. Thank you for the call and the question. It wasn't really a call, it was a recorded question at uh, talkingrealmoney.com and uh, I think we have another one of those right here. Hello, um, my name is Heidi. Um, great to connect with you, Tom and Don. I love your podcast. Uh, I am wondering, I know you probably can't speak to a certain company, but I'm uncomfortable asking the questions you told us to ask our uh, financial advisor, you know, to see if they're a fiduciary and to see if they sell any products that have a commission. Um so I thought maybe you might know about Edward Jones. And um, we have a significant amount of money in Edward Jones and have for 20 years. We don't have any insurance or anything like that with them. Uh, just um, IRAs and uh, profit sharing. I don't know what the difference is, but we used to have employees. And a long time ago, we started up this profit sharing I think it's an IRA, but, um, and they're all different mutual funds within those, um, accounts. So I would love to hear what you think. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Heidi. Thanks for listening. I totally get it. This is a really hard conversation to have, and it is meant to be hard. They want it to be hard. That's why the financial services business probably more than any other, is a powerful relationship proposition. It, it becomes almost like a friendship as opposed to a business relationship. So you feel badly questioning the integrity of your friend, your neighbor. And that really is the hallmark of Edward Jones. It's all about being a neighbor. That's how the company was founded and became so successful and why they continue to be so successful because they really are in most cases at least from what i've heard 
so nice. They're involved in the community. Heck, I've had relatives who work with Edward Jones and will not change no matter how good my argument might be because of that relationship. But here's what it comes down to. If you have a million dollars that you've invested with a broker of any kind, be it Edward Jones or Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or Ameriprise or whomever it might be, is that personal relationship worth $50,000? Because if you've invested a million dollars with your typical stockbroker over time, you probably paid about 5% in commissions. You might have gotten some breakpoints, so maybe it was thirty dollars or $40,000. But the question is, would you have paid that person thirty dollars or forty or $50,000 for the advice provided, or would you have given them that just for being a good friend or a friend? Not even that good a friend, probably. And, and that's really the big question. That's so hard to make this just a business relationship so anyway back to edward jones we've talked about edward jones a lot because they are so prevalent in the lives of the 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 audience that we have for this podcast the the middle class of america and uh the fact is no they are not and they would admit this in writing if they would ever put it in writing they are not always required to act as a fiduciary when they are selling products like mutual funds they are no longer acting as a fiduciary they can act as a fiduciary they do have a fee-based service they provide now in that fee-based service if in fact you are on their fee-based service then they may be acting as a fiduciary at all times. It depends on what you own. If your portfolio with them is all no-load funds, no front-end commission, no 12B1 fee, hopefully even index funds, then they would be acting probably as a fiduciary at that point. But if you have the American funds, the Oppenheimer funds, the Invesco Oppenheimer funds, any of those groups uh, that aren't no-load, then they're not acting as a fiduciary. They're acting in a uh, suitability standard and that's the bulk of the time because the industry is really short-sighted they'd rather have the big fat commission up front than collect reasonable fees slowly over the course of many years or decades for continually giving advice they'd rather make the sale and move on to the next person heidi thanks for the question um once again we're going to take another one that came in from talkingrealmoney.com which we appreciate because they sound really good when you record them with a good computer mic hello gentlemen my name is dennis and i heard you guys mention something called r-e-i-t and i'm looking to invest some money and they say with this particular company i looked up online it's called Elevate Money. So I want to know if you think it's a legitimate company because uh, I'm kind of concerned, but at the same time, it makes sense. I'm concerned because they wanted me to link my bank account with them. So what do you think? Thank you. We believe that real estate should be a portion of your portfolio, 10% or so, Um but not through an individual REIT like Elevate. Now, I can't vouch for their 
the quality of their offering. But I can tell you a few things about it. One, it's new. Two, it's very illiquid. Three, there are fees associated with it, uh, 3% plus in commissions, an annual fee of a half a percent a year, and you're going to have a very limited portfolio because it's a small REIT. You're going to have a few properties, but not massive diversification. And we think massive diversification is the key to lower volatility. So if you want to invest in REITs and you want to do it with a small amount, use something like the Vanguard Real Estate ETF, which gives you a portfolio that is the equivalent of the entire investable U.S. real estate market, the whole thing. So you don't have to worry about bad real estate choices because you own millions of properties. You don't have to worry about regional problems. You don't have to worry about illiquidity, which you do with the Elevate. You can get out of Vanguard's ETF anytime because it's an ETF of REITs, of real estate investment trusts. So I would absolutely look at a real estate ETF. Oh, and by the way, Vanguard's fees, 0.12%. 0.12, no commissions or anything. And you can get it through your broker, most brokers, with no transaction cost and with very, very small amounts of money. And now let's take another question that was recorded at TalkingRealMoney.com. Hi, folks. This is Alan in Orlando. I have a question regarding Roth conversions. But first, I want to thank you for all that you do and all of your educational materials, including this podcast. I recently took charge of my financial life and retirement planning. And your podcast has been a big part of my education. So I appreciate all that you do. And as a fellow dad, I also appreciate all the great dad humor and banter between the two of you. So my question concerns our eligibility to do a backdoor Roth or a mega backdoor Roth or otherwise find a vehicle to help with taxes, particularly in the future. Here's my situation. My wife and I each own our own business, and my wife is also a W-2 employee of my business. Due to our income, uh, we each have non-deductible traditional IRAs, which we max out every year. We didn't contribute uh, until we were ineligible for Roth, so we don't have Roth IRAs. I have a SEP IRA dating back to when my business didn't have any employees. For some time now, we have had employees. So I have a Safe Harbor 401k plan through Guideline 401k. My wife and I each have 401k accounts, which we max out every year. Also, I am in the Navy Reserves, and I contribute the most that I can from my reserve pay to the Thrift Savings Plan. We have health insurance through TRICARE, so we're not eligible to open an HSA. And we contribute much more money every year in a traditional brokerage account. So in sum, we're maxing out our personal IRAs, our 401ks, my TSP, and we also have 529 plans and a Florida prepaid plan for our kids' education. So are we eligible for any sort of Roth conversion on our investment accounts? I checked with Guideline 401k, and they do not allow in-service distribution for purposes of a Roth IRA conversion. Apparently, this is in order to avoid disrupting the safe harbor status of the plan. So that seems to rule out converting our 401ks unless I'm missing something. 
But what about my SEP IRA and our non-deductible traditional IRAs? Are we eligible for some flavor of Roth conversion for these IRAs? And if so, what would the tax consequences be? I've tried researching this, but it's unclear to me if we're eligible to convert my SEP IRA to a Roth IRA. And it's also unclear what the tax consequences would be for any conversion of our non-deductible traditional IRAs. And by the way, while we're on the topic, if you can think of any other vehicle that I haven't mentioned that could help us save or defer taxes, I'd appreciate you sharing. But I wonder if perhaps we are where we are and we should just focus on doing what we're doing, which is maxing out our IRAs, maxing out our 401ks, maxing out my TSP, and otherwise investing as much as we can in our traditional brokerage accounts. Thanks again. Thanks for listening. Thanks for liking our bad humor. Uh, and, uh, and I'm a neighbor. I'm, I'm just down the road from you in celebration. Wow, you guys are doing really well. Really well. Um, the only um, tax reduction advice I really can give you is you max out your 401s, you do your thrift savings plan, you do the stuff you're already doing. Uh, the other, the only other way to really reduce taxes is to make less money. And I'm just a big fan of making money, even if I have to pay taxes on it. So I'm not going to get into letting the tax tail wag the dog. You got to invest properly and then happily, or at least grudgingly pay the taxes as a cost of your success. Let's talk about the back door. You can't do anything if you if your 401s don't allow in-service distributions, so leave those alone. But but you do have two places where you can do a back door. And I'm pretty sure backdoor Roth conversions will disappear someday in the not-too-distant future. They're just too easy a target. Here's the deal. On your non-deductible IRAs, those are a breeze because all the money went in after tax. So you're not going to have to pay taxes on all of that after-tax money. Now, the SEP is a different story. And you will have to pay taxes on the entire amount you move from your SEP to your backdoor Roth. But, but you sound like somebody who in retirement will probably be in a similar tax bracket to what you're in during your working life because you're such a good saver and investor. Therefore, that Roth is going to look really attractive someday down the road when you're thinking, oh, no, I got to do RMDs and I got to pay all these taxes and I'm still in a high bracket and, oh, what am I going to do? So I would get busy with backdoor conversions like right now in 2022 if you have, and I'm pretty sure you do, the money elsewhere to go ahead and pay the taxes right now and take that hit. So that's my advice. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate you. And uh, one thing we ask is the best way to help a lot more people invest right is to become a talking real money evangelist. You don't get anything for that. Just the nice, warm, fuzzy feeling that you're saving somebody from bad investing. So spread the word. Thank you. Let's take another question from TalkingRealMoney.com, a recorded one, of course. Hey, this is Cass from Mississippi, and I have a question about 
the best place to keep an emergency fund. It's really savings that I hope I won't have to spend, but in case I do, I have it. Like, you know, if an appliance goes out or, or you know, my home insurance deductible in case uh, I have hurricane damage, things of that nature. Um, I want to build it up to about maybe twenty twenty five thousand dollars um but i'm i'm trying to figure out uh, i have an ally savings account so would i be better off to maybe put some or most of it in short-term bond fund now i already have some in the uh you know vt and bnd i have some taxable uh but that's money that the, the money that i put in bnd i sort of just don't plan on touching uh but so this is just emergency money that that i may have to use and so uh uh, you know does it make sense to compare ally savings to the short-term bond fund that vanguard has um so i was trying to think what a split on that would be which one you would choose or if i should split the money up i appreciate it and love the podcast as usual thank you see tom i told you Cass was a regular and she's from mississippi he didn't believe me. Thanks, Cass. Uh, you're trying to cover all the bases, and that's good. I, Tom and I have slightly different opinions on this topic. I believe that it makes sense to keep the emergency money somewhere without volatility, without any volatility at all, because I don't think you make enough more to really compensate for that discomfort you get when you're going, oh, I'm selling it at a loss, even if the loss is 1% or 2%, because you didn't make that much to begin with. I think you're doing fine with Ally, because you have one of the, check with them, make sure there's not a higher rate than what you're getting, but you have one of the better high-yield savings accounts, at least high-yield savings account rates out there. Generally, it's Ally and Marcus and maybe Synchrony Bank that tend to have the highest rates because they're lending money out at much higher rates, but they have that FDIC insurance. So you can, I think right now, probably getting six-tenths of a percent maybe, which compared to the savings account rate at most banks of like 0.002 or something. Okay, maybe it's still... No, it's probably that. It's probably that low. Uh, you're you're doing pretty well with that money. And again, it's only a small portion of your money, and it's it's just that rainy day money. It's not going to make that big a difference. We're talking a few dollars a year, a few dollars. So I would just stick with Ally. It's simple. What's your time worth? More than a couple of dollars, probably. Uh, we take questions all the time at talkingrealmoney.com we take them in a written form because a lot of you like that but we prefer them in this form the spoken word form because they're more fun hi tom and don i love your podcasts i've been listening to them on my trips between seattle and walla walla i have a question about a topic i haven't heard you address drawdown strategy i'm 64 retired widower no kids I have no debts or mortgage. I can easily live off my pension and dividends, which comes to about 120 k a year. I'm not sure when I'll take Social Security. However, I also have $3 mil in a brokerage account, 500 k in a Roth IRA, and $2 mil in a regular IRA. I'll have to start my RMDs in about six years. I've considered pulling some money out of my regular IRA 
every year over the next six years and stashing it in brokerage funds just to draw down the balance. I'd have to be careful about the amounts to avoid jumping into the next tax bracket. Can you offer any better drawdown strategy to minimize taxes long term? Thanks. This is one of those areas where the distinct difference between a true fee-only investment advice provider and a stockbroker come into glaring contrast. You are in a very, very good situation. You're in an amazing situation. But you do have a lot of, of money that needs to be tax managed. And as you said, you've got RMDs coming up, but you're very comfortable on your current pension and the dividends from your portfolio. But your portfolio, you are to the point in life when you need something more than a hodgepodge of brokerage products. Unless your broker is managing your account as a fiduciary, as an investment advisor, and just charging you an annual fee for that management, then I would be willing to bet, even without looking at your portfolio, that you have a hodgepodgey mess of all kinds of disparate things that don't work together. What you need and have needed is a plan and a serious strategy for both distributions and taxation. And that should start right away. One of the tools of that strategy may very well be, because you have the money, uh, is doing some Roth conversions to allow that money to avoid being subject to future RMDs after that money has grown for many more years, because at 68, you could have two, three decades left. You got a plan for two or three decades. It's nice that you don't need the money, but you also need some sort of an estate plan to figure out where this is going to go, when you go, and you want to avoid as much in taxes as you can along the way. But that is not something we can just go on the show, do this. Because it involves moving assets into the proper asset classes and also taking advantage of the things you can do within your current tax bracket without kicking you up into a ridiculous tax bracket. And that requires a tax plan, which 99% of brokerage firms aren't going to do because they don't get paid unless they're selling something to you. So I would start to look for a fiduciary advisor, unless you already have one, and if then, you need to talk to them about a plan. Uh, and if you want help finding one, just go to TalkingRealMoney.com slash help. We've got an advisor interview form, got a list of advisors in the Seattle area that we are relatively confident are fiduciaries. We also have a list of a lot of the other firms that claim to be fiduciaries, telling you whether they are or not always a fiduciary and what they charge. So check that out, TalkingRealMoney.com slash help. You've done very, very well by yourself, but there is a point in life where you need a plan. It's okay to wing it for a while, be a DIYer, but eventually when you accumulate enough assets and your financial situations get complex enough, this is where you need a fiduciary. And fiduciaries are real fiduciaries, blasted hard to find. Uh, thanks for your question. And I think if we do one more, we've cleared out all of the voice questions from 2021. Yeah, I think we have. This is the last one from 21. Oh, what an accomplishment. Happy New Year, Tom and Don. 
I have a question regarding bonds. My name is Karen, and I had sent a message in recently about Series EE bonds. I'm basically looking to um, where to put my money that I is non-retirement um, outside of the emergency fund that I don't need for five to maybe eight years. Um, I do have some in stock, so I want to also keep some um, more in like a fixed income outside of the retirement. Um, and right now it's currently just in savings earning, you know, 0.55% or whatever it is. And I have maxed out like I bonds. So what would you say for, um, I live in Massachusetts and I found the municipal bond fund from Vanguard. It's um, V-M-A-T-X. And supposedly the interest is, um, the federal and state interest is tax exempt. Um, So I'm just wondering, you know, is that worth the risk versus like, well, I mean, like I'm okay with, I think with that risk, um, I have a pretty high risk tolerance um, and I am heavily invested in stocks in the retirement part of the portfolio. Um, but for this, is this, you know, would you recommend that? I know I've never really heard you guys talk about like the municipal bond funds, if that's something to avoid or, um, you know, if each, each state is different and is that a viable option to earn a little bit more interest and still be relatively safe. Um, yeah, that's it, I think. And thank you very much for the show. I do appreciate it. I've sent in several questions to you guys, and it's been very helpful when you answer them. So um, thank you for all you do. Bye-bye. Thanks, Karen. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the kind words. We, we try to help. I think we did answer your EE bond question yesterday. I think I'm pretty sure. I think it was yesterday. Could have been on the Saturday show. Uh, as far as what you should do from here, again, we come back to this issue of a plan. This is this is the way most of us invest. We invest backward. We sort of buy some stuff and then we go, well, should we buy some other stuff to go with this stuff? When the reality is we should start by figuring out what we want this money to do for us, what we need it to do for us, and then what we can stand having it do. And one of the things you have to figure out if you need is tax-free income. Do you need it? Because you do take on a little bit more risk with most tax-free bond funds. They tend to be of longer maturity. Now, I am not sure on the Vanguard. Let me take a look at what the average maturity is on that thing. Uh, Not bad, not bad. It's about a five-year duration. Uh, It's relatively high quality they have about 20 percent in triple b which is the way they keep that yield up at about two percent tax-free uh but it it again you're invested in one state so you're subject to a regional economy risk you're also in uh in some lower slightly lower quality paper you're in slightly lower or slightly higher maturity paper slightly um because it it averages the bulk of it's in that five to seven year range so maybe if you're in a high enough bracket it could make sense it could it's got to be in a high enough bracket the the thing you need to know though is how much should you have in stocks and how much should you have in fixed income and that really is determined by two things what you need the money to do how much money you need it to make and how much risk 
volatility. That is really what we consider to be risk when you have a diversified portfolio. There is no risk of total loss in this municipal bond fund or in an equity fund. There's no chance you could lose your entire portfolio if you have a diversified, globally diversified portfolio of stocks and bonds. There's just no way. There, Well, okay, there's one way, but you're not going to care if it gets that bad. Watch Station Eleven on HBO. You want to get? You want to find out how bad it can get? You won't care in that scenario. Um, but in this case, I'd have to know a lot more. I I think a short to intermediate duration bond fund makes sense. Maybe the tax free does, but you've got to be high bracket, and um, you probably could use a little planning. Just again, look for a. F- 100% fiduciary advisor and they will lie they will tell you they are they will lie to your face get it in writing we never receive a commission as a matter of fact you know i i've been thinking about this oh and by the way thank you for the call karen i have been thinking about this for a while let me know i'm thinking about creating a how-to video that shows you exactly how to vet your financial advice provider exactly where to go step by step you can watch the video where to go how to read it what portions of their disclosure stuff you need to look at what parts of it are absolute bs uh and you know i think i may do that let me know if you'd like the idea Uh, i think that does it uh, yeah, pretty long podcast today. Thank you all for being a part of it. By the way, on Saturdays, we talk to you live on Como Radio in Seattle from 3 to 5 Eastern, noon to 2 Pacific at 855-935-TALK. And you can also listen live on Saturdays because of the wonders of the internet on you know, all these services like TuneIn Radio and stuff like that. So do it. Listen, call, and keep listening to the podcast. Tell everybody, please. Don't make us spend money on advertising. Do it for us. And uh, love the reviews. Got a couple of new reviews at Apple Podcasts. They were terrific. Thank you very much. Take care. We'll talk soon. I'm Don McDonald. Hanging out in Florida. Talking real money. Talking real money. We hope you realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for informational, educational, and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future, so past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Appella Capital, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?